0: Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Thank you, ladies. Bonnie, only you could have done this. <laughs> she didn't. I'm asking a question today. And by the way, that's the only slide you're going to see today. Normally when I preach a message, the slides are changing. And if you're waiting for this one to change, it's not. I wanted you to stay focused on this one both this morning and this afternoon. You have a lot at stake with what I'm about to say. Yes, even up here in Oscoda County, little Ohio, Michigan. I believe there is a God, the God of the Bible. I believe the Bible is his word. I believe his word when it indicates to us or says to us that God judges nations. Now that can be good or bad. If he judges you to be a righteous nation... You can have the blessings of God. You can have prosperity. You can have peace. You can leave your doors unlocked at night, as we used to. Or he can judge a nation and curse that nation, and life can get very hard and very difficult. You have a lot at stake and what I'm going to share with you both this morning and this afternoon. And I hope you will embrace that, because that means there's something you can do it, it doesn't. We're we're not fatalists, and we're just you know on this roller coaster that's out of control. the The good news is there's something you can do. I'm concerned about our nation. I mentioned the pride that that I felt just watching that Marine Corps band uh, march down the avenue there, and people just spontaneously stood up and started cheering them. But I was. Deeply troubled when another group of people stood up and cheered. It happened in the New York Assembly just a few months ago, if I remember correctly, when they passed the most liberal abortion bill in our country's history that babies could be murdered up until birth and even after. You can go online. I watched it this morning. When the vote was announced that it had passed, that children in the womb, hours before they were to be born, could be murdered, it was basically women. I'm sure there were men up there, but what I saw was a gallery of women. They stood up and cheered like a team had just won a ball game. And they were hugging, and they were jumping up and down, and they were high-fiving each other. Do you find that troubling? I would have expected that in Nazi Germany. But in America? They were so excited about it that the governor or the mayor, one, I forget who, said that all public... Buildings should celebrate the fact that the abortion bill had passed in the World Trade Center, of all places. The new one was decorated in pink that evening to celebrate a baby. Babies being murdered. What ruthless beasts could do such a thing? And it was cheered, folks, in the United States of America I don't think that's what the brave soldiers of our country died for. And I don't think they died for transgender and homosexual and bestiality and, you know, pornography and gambling. I contend that what American soldiers died for is the most noble ideal ever pursued by any nation in the history of the world. Let me say that again. I contend that what our brave men and women gave their last full measure of devotion for, as stated so eloquently by Lincoln at Gettysburg, they gave their last full measure of devotion for the most noble ideal that the world has ever known. That ideal is stated clearly in our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths... The crowd that cheered the abortion in the assembly, they don't believe in truth. Okay? That's why they can do what they do. If there's truth, you don't cheer that. Our founding fathers, a different breed. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That same crowd doesn't believe in that word created either. You see how we're deviating from what made us great? They don't believe that. That's hard for Christians to understand. You go to church. You hang around your Christian friends. You might get a glimpse of what's going on around you in the news. But this all sounds foreign to you when I say that they don't believe in truth and they don't believe in creation. But trust me, that's a fact. And it's a problem. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. Do you think the leftists and liberals of today would have written that in our Declaration of Independence? Do you think if they had the chance to get it out that they would? That ought to scare the fire out of you. Because it has real consequences for you. What you can do, how you can live, the kind of the kind of country you're going to live in and the kind of country your children and grandchildren are going to be raised in, are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. They come from God. No man no man determines what rights I have. God determines that. That's what made America different. Because in Germany, Hitler decided what rights you would have and wouldn't have, and he decided the Jews wouldn't have any. Do you understand? You understand where I'm coming from? I told Sharon this morning, I dreaded preaching this today. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Understand the uniqueness of what it means to be an American. And it's not being taught in our schools today. Beware of the public schools. Be, certainly beware of the public universities. The pursuit of the that ideal gave the world the greatest nation it's ever ever been conceived: the United States of America. The Declaration expressly acknowledges that truth comes from God and gives us the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We as Americans have lived in pursuit of a noble ideal which makes us unique among all the nations in the history of the world. That noble ideal resulted in the great blessings of God on our land. Proverbs 14.34 says it clearly, folks, and this is the premise of what I'm sharing with you, and what I hope I can convey, and what I hope will get in your soul, and what I hope will motivate you to do the right thing. Live righteously. Be in a church. Be committed to that church. Don't be petty. Don't be, don't be carnal. Don't be worldly. Make the Lord's day the Lord's house. And, 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 and appreciate the importance of witnessing and testifying and live, living godly lives in your community. That's based on Proverbs 14, which says, Righteousness exalteth the nation. Okay, that's a pretty big statement. And it ought to be, in the history of mankind, provable or not. Our current president has the theme, make America great again. And I think, whether you like him or not, I I think we would all agree that America has been great. And we're going in the wrong direction. It needs to be made great again. What made America great? This is it. Righteousness. Exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalteth a nation. That's my Bible premise for telling you what I told you at the beginning of the service today, that it matters. You have a lot at stake as to what goes on in Lansing or what goes on in Washington, D.C. You cannot opt out. You are going to be affected, and either you are going to contribute purposely, consciously, to this being a righteous nation, or by your lifestyle, by your independence, by your self-will, you're going to forgo caring and just do your own thing, which is sin. And that's a reproach to any people. Back in the 70s, when I was at LSU, I just got a sense of the beginnings of the murmurings of complaining against the United States of America by its own citizens, the professors that taught the classes. They were calling into question the motives of our founding fathers. And since that time, it's only gotten worse. And there's reasons why media, Hollywood, and... uh, The university. There's re, and we we can't go there this morning. There's reasons why they are leftist. There's reasons why they are liberal. There's reasons why they hate the America that I love. And they do. There, There are millions of Americans today that hate the America I love. But this nation has been greatly blessed of God greatly blessed of God and used of God. It was the United States of America that defeated the thugs of Nazism, Fascism, Communism, and today radical Islam. Who has defeated those? It's the United States of America that's been the bastion against evil and tyranny and despotism. We've been the protector of other nations who have valued freedom. And peace. And when we have defeated nations, we've not taken possession of them. We've rebuilt them. God's blessed us with the highest standard of living the world has ever known. Because righteousness exalteth the nation. And when de Tocqueville came here in the 1800s, he was amazed at the fact on Sundays, the country that he went to, that he visited here, he was from France, he said, everybody was in church when he visited America, that's one of the things he wrote and he emphasized. He said there's churches on every corner and on Sunday, everybody's in church and they're not doing anything else. They go to church and they go home. We've been blessed to have the greatest advancements in commerce and industry. We've led the world in inventions from the telephone, the automobile, the airplane, and even put a man on the moon. We've led the world in science and in medicine. We've been the first to assist nations in times of their national catastrophes. For decades our exports of agriculture have literally fed the world. The Statue of Liberty has welcomed millions of legal immigrants with open arms from around the world. We're guaranteed in writing, in this country, the freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, and to bear arms. Now you go sit in the liberal classrooms of America's secular universities, and they're not going to brag on America. I promise you. You may be shocked. I've been there. You may be shocked. They are quick to point out, folks, that We have the great stain on our country of slavery. And it sure is, I I would not deny it, It, a horrible stain. And because of that stain, they are quick to vilify our founding fathers because some of them were slaveholders. Do you understand, first of all, at that time in the world's history, well, there's been slavery from the beginning of mankind. And that's not to justify it, and that's not to make light of it. It's just factual, and it was factual at the time of our founding fathers. But there are people that are using that to undermine our founding fathers. There are people that are now publicly critical of Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. That's scary, folks. You say, well, pastor, how do you deal with the fact that they were slaveholders? Well, first of all, it was a cultural norm at the time. But do you also know that George Washington freed his slaves when he died? Do you also know that there were certain laws at that time that made it impossible to free your slaves? But do you also know those same men laid the foundation that made it possible for slavery to be abolished? They laid the foundation for it to be abolished. The words they wrote in the Declaration of Independence. The the words they wrote in the Constitution. Martin Luther King said the Founding Fathers, this is a quote. Well, let me give you the quote. But Martin Luther King said what the Founding Fathers gave us was a promissory note that gave us freedom. The Founding Fathers folks got it right. It took some time. It took some blood. And it was a horrible war. but It was a war fought for freedom and freeing the slaves. And Martin Luther King had the wherewithal to understand that even though there's an irony there that some of those men were slaveholders, Martin Luther King knew that ultimately, though, they got it right in the founding documents. Quote Martin Luther King, In a sense, we have come to our nation's capital. I think this is the I Have a Dream speech. I'm not sure, but I think this is an excerpt from the I Have a Dream speech. In a sense, we have come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the architects of our republic wrote the magnificent words of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall heir. This note was a promise that all men would be guaranteed the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's Martin Luther King. Unlike these modern-day spoiled, uneducated athletes, and when I say uneducated, I mean uneducated in what made America great, You know, they're kneeling at, at, at what they should value, whereas Martin Luther King valued what he should. And he understood that in those documents... The groundwork was laid for their freedom. Go back further than that. Frederick Douglass, he was the abolitionist um, that fought for, you know, he was a slave and he fought for the freedom of slaves. Listen to what he said The Constitution is a glorious liberty document. Read its preamble, consider its purposes. Is slavery among them, he asked? Is it at the gateway? Or is it in the temple? And he answers, it is neither. He said the Constitution is a glorious liberty document. They had enough sense to see that. They had enough sense to know that the founding fathers, I believe, guided as men of faith, even though they had their own faults, ultimately got it right. Slavery ultimately was defeated in this country. And we are no longer a racist country. Are there racists in our country? Well, sure there are. There's racists in every country. But is it accurate to say that we are a racist nation? I'd be willing to believe that there's not a racist person in this room. I don't, I don't think there's a racist so So where, where's that coming from? A racist country doesn't elect a black president to begin with. Amen? A racist country doesn't have a former black secretary of state or a current black Supreme Court justice, or just resigned Secretary of Housing, or black governors, or black senators, or representatives. This may be pretty pragmatic, but a racist country doesn't go to stadiums and fill them by the tens of thousands to cheer for teams that are predominantly minority. Right? 100,000 people will go to Michigan Stadium and cheer teams that are, from what I can see, Predominantly made up of minorities. That's not a racist nation. There was a time, and I remember it because I was born in the deep south. You don't get any more deep than southern Louisiana. I remember the white entrance and the colored entrance. I remember the the white, you know, they had two water fountains. White and one for, back then they would call it colored people. And that's a shame, and that is a stain on our country. But today, the, the, the wonderful news is the Founding Fathers laid the fra- framework and fabric whereby that awful stain was removed, and now minorities are protected by law. There's nothing a minority can't do. I heard a a, a black uh, man, I, he, he's a writer, he, he's, he's like a Harvard grad or whatever, I appreciate him. He was saying something I, I've not heard a lot. But he said, he was being interviewed, he said, we're free now. He said, he said, my black brothers and sisters need to understand that. We're free. He said, it's on us. You know, there's no college we can't go to. There's no job we can't have. There's no place we can't live. He said, it's on us. To, to, to make it for ourselves and to not, you know, play the blame game as so many groups want to do these days. We have been, through history, the beacon of hope to all oppressed peoples around the world. The Statue of Liberty has rightly proclaimed, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. Why have so many hundreds of thousands of Americans given their last full measure of devotion? And why there's men and women in this room that have served our country and we applaud you, we thank God for you. Why did they serve? Why did those men and women give their last full measure of devotion? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They gave their lives, folks, and I want to emphasize this today, There's something unique in the history of the world. A noble ideal. It was a noble ideal. Do you know where that ideal originated? Do you know what our form of government is patterned after? You weren't taught it in school. Unless you went to a Christian school or a Christian college, you were not taught it. To find the answer to how we became the nation that was birthed in 1776 with all of its uniqueness, to understand that, you've got to go back in history. In fact, you've got to go back before 1776. You've got to go back before the Magna Carta, which kind of broke with uh, the monarchy and started giving rights to the people. You've got to go back beyond the formation of the Magna Carta in England in 1215 you got to go back beyond that. But there's a little story about the Magna Carta, where the Magna Carta was signed over in England. There was a, a tour group going through the building where it was signed, and somebody raises his hand asks a question. He says, well, when was the Magna Carta signed? And the lady said, oh, 1215. The guy looked at his watch. He said, oh, man, we just missed it. <laughs> Laugh, Jamie. <laughs> Amber will explain it to you when you get home. 1215 was the year, and he thought it was the... Yeah, okay. Go back beyond the Roman Senate of 300 B.C. Go back beyond Greek democracy of 500 B.C. You may be surprised this morning that you go all the way back. If you want to find the founding principles for our unique nation, you have to go back, and it's disputed whether it was 1200 B.C. or 1500 B.C. Go way back to the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. Go back to Sinai Peninsula at the time of Moses. Think about it for a second. The Hebrew children had been slaves. They had been captive. And they had been there in Egypt for hundreds of years as slaves. And now they, like us in 1776, have their independence. And they've left Egypt, they're going to the Promised Land, but they are currently, in the meantime, in the Sinai Peninsula. Now they're an independent people made up of a number of different clans or different tribes, very similar to where we found ourselves. We were in bondage, we became a free people, and then we got these 12 colonies. 12 colonies, 12 tribes. Never thought of that before. Interesting. The big question is, how will they be unified? How will they organize themselves? What kind of government are they going to form? What will be the basis of their government? See, they are now a new and independent people. And the answers to those questions can be found in God's word, particularly if you look in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy, which tell us about that time. And that's of importance to us, because what Israel did as a nation at that time really became the basis for what our nation did in 1776 and why we have a great nation. As Israel became one nation under God for the first time in several thousand years, the United States became one nation under God. It was there in the Sinai Peninsula as these former slaves are coming out, they're having to form their own country, if you will, that God met with Moses and Moses met with the people and their country became organized. And they call that, and this is very important for today, they called that the Mosaic Covenant. What happened in the Sinai as they were going from slavery to an independent people to a sovereign nation, what they called that was the Mosaic Covenant. And that's important. Because you've probably never heard that term in relationship to our country. And if you went to public school, you wouldn't have. wouldn't be popular. The term covenant is of a Latin origin, and it simply means coming together. The Mosaic Covenant was a group of people coming together. And a covenant presupposes two or more parties who come together to make a contract, agreeing on promises and stipulations, privileges, and responsibilities. So the basis for the beginning of the nation of Israel was a covenant. It was an ideal It was a noble ideal. They initially, anyway, are not going to be ruled by a monarch. They wanted one. That didn't go well. They were not ruled by a dictator. They were not ruled by aristocracy. They were a people that came together, and what motivated them, what guided them, was this covenant. A group of people coming to an agreement of how they would live, how they would be governed under God. And it brought together these various tribes. And it was a shared covenant. They were a covenant people. And that's how this country began. Our founding fathers shared basically that same ideal. And we became a covenant nation. That's what brought us together. We hold these truths to be self-evident. It's those truths that brought them together. They agreed there is a creator God. He has given us truth. And we all agree that these truths are right. And these truths, when we bring ourselves into understanding and compliance and responsibility, we're going to be blessed. To be an American, you had to believe in an ideal. To be an American, you could come from Germany. You could come from Italy. You could even come from Canada. Lisa, who is now an American citizen. You could come from Egypt. You could come from Japan. You could come from Brazil. You could come from Mexico. And as long as you believed and accepted that ideal, you were an American. Go to Germany, you got to be a German. Go to France, to really matter, you got to be a Frenchman. To be a Japanese you got to be Japanese. To be an American, you just had to believe in the covenant. You had to believe in the ideal. Whether you were German, whether you were Japanese, whether you're from Ethiopia, Ghana, as long as you believed in the ideal, you became part of a melting pot. The melting pot brought us all together as Americans. A group of people who covenanted together to not only experience the blessings, but to assume the responsibilities that come with those blessings. An Italian, German, Japanese, anybody could be an American. We Americans, folks, are not bound by language, skin color, or culture. We are bound by the truths given to us by our Creator. And when a nation enters into a covenant with each other and their creator God, we have already seen it. They experience life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And again, it's stated in the Declaration. We hold these truths. That's what bound Washington and Jefferson and Adams, and Madison, and Patrick Henry together, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Where would they get that from? The Bible. And that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If you believe that, and you are willing to commit yourself to it, You could experience the blessings that came with that as long as you were willing to accept the responsibilities that goes along with that. We are a covenant nation. What unites us and prospers us has been a commitment to lofty ideals afforded us by our Creator. Let me ask you a question. Could Hitler have ever written that? He wrote a lot. He wrote Mein Kampf. Could he have ever written that? I want to ask you a question. Why not? Why, in our minds, was it inconceivable for that man to write that? Could Joseph Stalin ever have written that? Could Mao have ever written that? Could Osama bin Laden have ever written that? And yet they became leaders. And what was the result? Tens of millions of innocent men and women, boys and girls... Drug into gas chambers. Can you imagine the horror? To see your husband taking drug out of a car over to the side of the field and you watch them put a bullet through his head? They did that by the millions. I want to ask you a question. How is that even possible? The answer to that question, folks, matters. And we're raising a generation of ignorant people that are going to be led like lambs to the slaughter because they don't know the answers to these questions because they're not getting it in school and they don't have time to go to church on Sunday. None of these men would have ever acknowledged truth and the unalienable rights given by their creator. But there were at this unique time in history, in the late 1700s, George Washington was able to think this way. And Thomas Jefferson, and James Madison, and John Adams. When I think of the names Hitler, Stalin, Mao, bin Laden, it, 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 it's dirty. But when I mention the don't you have a whole different feel when I say Washington. Adams, Madison, Jefferson. It makes me proud to be an American. Those men did come up with what's behind me. It started early on, and if you think I'm just kind of grabbing at straws this whole idea of covenant, let's Let's now look at American history. The Puritans came over to this nation. Thus, before his shipmates disembarked from the Arbella, John Winthrop addressed the Puritans with one of the most famous sermons ever preached, a sermon entitled by Winthrop himself, A Model of Christian Charity, sounding very much like Moses addressing the ancient Israelites. Well, isn't that interesting? Interesting. Just as they were about to enter the promised land, Winthrop challenged his fellow Puritans. And here you find the word covenant. Thus stands the cause between God and us. I quote, we are entered into covenant with him for this work. What's he talking about? He's talking about the founding of a new nation, a new world. They understood the idea of an ideal. An ideal that can only come from truth. Truth that can only come from a creator God. Which lets us know that all men are created equal. Why did they give their last full measure of devotion? These words aren't sacred, but they're so critical. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.